Well, let's indeed turn to, to God's Word this morning. Now, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, or if, you, if you're using the, the Bibles there scattered among the, the chairs of the Black Bibles, it should be page 983, 983. This morning we're continuing our series that we're calling Knowing Jesus, seeking to know Christ better because knowing him is, is life. Uh, and uh, yeah, this Christmas season, that, that fits in really well as we'll talk more about the incarnation and the, and the coming of Christ into our world. But, but as we move towards that, uh, it's important to think about the prior uh, history of the Lord Jesus uh, the prior glory of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about uh, before. What, what, what was before Christmas? Uh, and, and that's what uh, Colossians 1 gets us into nicely. We'll bring in some other passages. Our Hebrews passage that we read this morning will be quite helpful. Uh, but especially looking at Colossians 1, and we'll read from verses 15 uh, to verse 20. So let's give attention to, to God's word. Uh, Here's Paul right in the middle of a sentence, actually. Uh, it's uh, speaking about the beloved son. Uh, the beloved son, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would show us the glory of Jesus. And we know that's exactly what your word does and what your Holy Spirit delights to do. And so we look forward with anticipation, seeing his glory afresh. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, I have a couple questions for you. I want you to think about your birthday. Your birthday. Okay? What do you do on your birthday? Do, is there a cake? Are there maybe candles? Maybe some presents? Even maybe a little party? Okay, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of celebrating. So here's my question. What are you celebrating on your birthday? What are you celebrating on your birthday? Well, your kids are smart, so if I actually asked you to raise your hand, you'd probably say you're celebrating the day you were born and how long you've been alive. So if today was your eighth birthday, you're celebrating that you've been, uh, that this is your birthday and you've been alive for eight years. Uh, or if you're turning nine, that you've been alive for nine years. But I know you kids are really, really smart, so I'm guessing that you probably know uh, that you've been alive for a little bit longer than that. 
So if today was your eighth birthday, that you've actually been alive for eight years and nine months, right? Because before you were born, there for nine months, you were growing inside your mom, right? So if you're eight, turning eight today, you've been alive for eight years and, and nine months, and that's what you celebrate on your birthday. Okay, now we get to some of the harder questions. This time of year, we celebrate another birthday. Whose birthday? You know that one. That's, yeah, that's actually easy, right? We celebrate Jesus' birthday this time of year. Okay, so how long then has Jesus been alive? Right? We said for your birthday, it's like, well, you're turning eight, eight years and nine months. Well, Jesus was, was born there in Bethlehem eh, 2,000 years ago. So has he been alive for 2,000 years and nine months? Yes? <clears throat> right? Jesus has been alive a lot, lot, lot longer than that. In fact, Jesus has always been alive. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the fact that though Jesus was born there in Bethlehem all those years ago, that wasn't the beginning for him. And that way he's very unlike all of us, uh, all right? And his birthday uh, celebrating something uh, so much bigger than what we celebrate. Uh, and we want to talk about the prior glory of Jesus. Uh, what's, what's the backstory before, uh, before Christmas? Uh, before the earthly life of Jesus. Uh, if we were uh, doing a series of movies, this would be the prequel. What went on before? Uh, and so there's a lot of places in Scripture that give us, uh, give us lots of instruction on this. Colossians 1 is one of, of the best, uh, as it focuses attention on the glory of Jesus prior to, of course, we could talk about how this glory continues, there's no end, but prior to, his incarnation and arrival on earth. Uh, and we're going to say three important things and then make some important uh, applications, a couple take-home uh, lessons for us. So first, focusing on the fact that Jesus is the glorious eternal Son. The glorious eternal Son. Uh, I, I said that verse 15 is actually uh, Paul in the middle of a sentence. It's a new sentence in your English Bibles, uh, just to try to keep things clear, but actually Paul, you might know, is famous for these very, very long run-on sentences, and this sentence has been going on for quite a long time. Uh, so if you want to know who the he is, you kind of got to go back a few verses, and, and you realize it goes all the way back to verse 13, where, where it speaks of the beloved son. The beloved son. Uh, so that's the he in verse 15. The beloved son, who is the image of of the invisible God. The beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, who is the image of the beloved Son. Image. Uh, image of the invisible God. Excuse me. Image of the invisible God. Image of the invisible God. An image. Uh, that's a word that's used other places in Scripture. Uh, and so, for example, back in the book of Daniel, when King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to show forth his greatness and his glory uh, to his kingdom, uh, he had an image constructed, a statue. It was big and tall, and it was to shine forth how, how great he was, what he was like. Try to put it into a, uh, into a form that would communicate. Uh, or uh, there, was, there was the great Caesar in Rome, 
uh, and Caesar wanted, uh, wanted the far reaches of his empire uh, to know uh, just how great he was. So on every Roman coin, there was an image, a picture of Caesar. So even though they would never actually lay eyes on Caesar, a Roman citizen all the way in, in Jerusalem would be able to have a coin and get some sense of ah, Caesar and his greatness and his, and his glory. Uh, well, what about God? Well, he's the invisible God. He doesn't have a body, so you can't see him. Uh, but here, Paul uses that same word, image, uh, to describe how God, the invisible God, shows forth his greatness and glory. And he says he does it in the person of the beloved Son. Uh, that he is the image uh, of the invisible God. He explains a little more in verse 19, uh, as he says, For in Christ, in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Right? This is, you start to see, this is how God can, can image, can communicate how great he is, because this one who will, who will take human form and walk around on earth, uh, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Or you could bring in our Hebrews reading this morning, uh, where in verse 3 we read uh, that this, uh, this eternal Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There's a similar word to image, not the same, but similar, the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, the, the fullness of God the, the, is now imaged and printed, communicated uh, in, in the person of the, the Son. That's why Jesus can say to his disciples in John 14, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, not because they're interchangeable, they're not, uh, but because Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God if you've seen him, you know you know the Father. You know his glory, you know his love, his power, his wisdom, his justice. You look at Jesus and you see the fullness of the eternal God because he is the exact image of the invisible God. Another scripture we tend to read this time of year is John chapter 1. And here is something that John says about uh, about Jesus, and see if you can see how the, this kind of idea of the image of the invisible God comes up in slightly different language. Here's what John 1 says. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Right? No one has ever seen God, yeah, because he's invisible. But yet, here is this Son, Word, John says uh, earlier on, uh, who is fully God, he has made him known. Yeah, because he is God. Whereas John opened that chapter, uh, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and so what you have here is this powerful uh, communication of, of the what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, right? That there is one God, but he exists eternally in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit. And, and part of what the, what the Son uh, is doing is communicating God's glory uh, because he is fully God, uh, right? Just like the Father and the Son, uh, one God, three, three persons. So we look at the Son and we can see the greatness and the glory of the invisible God. Now, he is uh, the eternal uh, Son, fully God. 
Now, uh, before we leave this point, we probably should answer, uh, answer a question that you might have about verse 15. Uh, and if you don't, maybe this would, would come up in some other, uh, some other uh, occasion. Uh, because you have this interesting thing that might get you scratching your head a little bit. Okay, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. You might say, hold, hold it, firstborn, uh, that, that, does that mean Jesus was like created? Uh, there was a time when he, he wasn't, and then he kind of was, but he was the first, uh, which, by the way, is exactly what a Jehovah's Witness might say. I had about this time of year, some uh, some years back, uh, one pair of guys knocked on my door and they and they wanted to talk about Jesus and they pointed to Colossians 15. Look, look, he he was a created being. He is a created being. He's the first and greatest created being. But look, he's the firstborn. It says it right there in your Bible. Um, well, it does say firstborn, uh, but does that mean Jesus is not eternal? Uh, good question. Good question. And we'll, we'll, let me say a couple things real quick just to kind of fill in, fill in the gaps. One is, notice that Paul does not say first created, he says first born. There is a way in Greek to say first created. Paul doesn't use that. He says first born. More on that in a second. Then you look at where he goes uh, in, in verse 16 with this. Uh, right? Context means everything. Uh, and that's how we use language. Context interprets. What's the context? He goes immediately on in verse 16 to talk about how uh, Jesus creates all things. As we'll see in a second, he goes out of his way to be so descriptive and all-inclusive. All. And when Paul means all, he says all. Heaven above, earth below, visible, invisible. All. So if Jesus were a created being, how can he create everything? Did he make himself? That's Kind of ridiculous. Uh, but, but as Paul says, there's, there's created things and there's non-created things. Which, which box does Jesus go in? Uh, Paul's very clear. He creates all things. And therefore, he cannot be himself, himself created. And so, uh, we realize that Paul is using that term firstborn in a way that the rest of Scripture also uses it. Uh, which is not to speak of createdness or, or order in time. Uh, but to speak of preeminence, uh, preeminence, uh, which is how the firstborn title is often used in Scripture. The firstborn son uh, is not just an, a, a description of time um, in, in human terms, but it's the principal heir. It's the one who had preeminence in the, in the family of the next generation. Especially that's used when it comes to talking about kings, and of course Jesus is a king. Uh, the, uh, it's used in Scripture to talk about the preeminent king. Here's a, here's a good example from Psalm 89. Uh, Psalm 89 is speaking about David, uh, and, and here's what God says about, about David, and then, of course, it points to the Messiah. Uh, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. I will make King David the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, clearly, he's not talking about the first created king. Because David wasn't the first created king. Uh, he's talking about, I'm going to make him the preeminent, the supreme, uh, the preeminent king of all kings. And, and that is pictured in small with David. And of course, that's what the Messiah is in big. And that's exactly how Paul's using that term here. Uh, he's talking about preeminence. He even uses that word uh, later on as he repeats firstborn 
uh, back in birth, birth, verse 18, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about Jesus as a created being. That doesn't even make sense in the context. Uh, he's talking about him as the preeminent one. So don't get uh, worried about that term firstborn. It makes perfect sense. But the key point here in, in our first, first Roman numeral is, who is this Jesus? What is his prior glory? He's the glorious eternal son. Secondly, he's the glorious supreme creator. And we've already, already begun to, to get into this territory. Verse 16 really focuses us in. Verse 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. If you look in various places of scripture, you'll see all three persons of the Trinity described as being involved in creating the world, uh, which is exactly how God does it with salvation. All three persons involved, slightly different ways. Here you see it describing Jesus, and it's describing him as the, as the agent of creation. All things are created through him uh, or by him. Uh, but Paul, what Paul really emphasizes uh, is, is the all-inclusive nature of Jesus creating. Right? So he gives this poetic expansion of, he really made it all. So he'll say, heaven above and earth beneath. Right? All things up there and all things down here. Uh, he says all things visible and invisible. So all things you can see and all things you can't see. Uh, and then he goes on to, to, to list uh, what's almost definitely uh, different, uh, different classifications of angels or spiritual powers. Uh, that's what most people think, that thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, probably echoes the Jewish classification of different, uh, different ranks of angels. Uh, we're not 100% sure, but probably. But it refers to, some, it refers to spiritual powers, uh, angelic powers. Uh, and that was apparently very significant to the Colossian Christians, those angelic powers. In fact, part of the problem going on in that church was that they were tempted to be so enamored with these angelic powers that they were beginning to look to them as a source of their, their trust, and this was how they were going to grow and mature and wisdom and greatness and, and safety. Ah, it was these angelic powers. And here Paul says, um, you do know who made them, right? As you look to these created things, as if that was your hope, you do know who made them. Jesus made them all. The beloved Son made them all. Uh, this is why if we have Jesus, we really have all we need. Because uh, he, he made it all. Even those things that we're tempted to think, ah, uh, this, uh, this will keep me safe. Well, they're just created things. But the creator, uh, preeminent, preeminent. All things were created by him or through him and for him, verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. Uh, that it's all created for his glory. Uh, to shine forth the greatness uh, of the beloved Son, uh, the power, the wisdom of the beloved Son, uh, that it's all about Him, for Him, and thus it can't be all about us. It's all about Him, not all about us. Uh, and that's actually good news. We're tempted to think the best situation in the world would be if everything was for me, uh, but it's actually not. That's actually the worst situation. Uh, that's a good one to ponder. There's a good dinner table discussion for, uh, 
for Sunday afternoon, uh, talk about, ponder why uh, everything being about Jesus is really good news for you. That's a good discussion. Okay. But let's, let's move on. He's the glorious uh, creator. He's also the glorious sustainer. Sustainer. Notice how uh, Paul goes there in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Uh, it's exactly something that, uh, that Hebrews 1, that passage we read, mentions. And not only does Jesus make it all, but he holds it all together, sustains it. Hebrews uh, 1.3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, now we start to see what kind of creator this, this glorious son is. That he's not just one who, who kind of constructs the world like a really intricate watch and then kind of winds it up and lets it go. Or, or, a, or a brilliant computer programmer who, who writes the program of the universe and then hits run. Uh, nope. Uh, Jesus, yes, creates it all and creates it perfectly and wise, uh, but he continues to be involved. Uh, every nanosecond uh, of our universe sustaining the world, holding it together. Uh, this is why the world continues to exist. Uh, why the sun comes up every day. Uh, why, uh, why your heart continues to beat uh, each minute that you're alive. Uh, why electrons continue to buzz about nuclei. Why? Because Jesus sustains it all. Now, you might say, well, what about, what about science? Isn't that what science does? Uh, well, let, let's clarify. There's no contradiction there. Um, <clears throat> what science does uh, is observe and describe how Jesus sustains the world. Uh, it, it's, it's looking at God's world and saying, this is how he does it. Uh, this is this describing the patterns and the secondary causes, if you like philosophical language, uh, <clears throat> through which Jesus uh, upholds the world. But why does it work that way? How, how does it continue to work that way? Because Jesus upholds it. Uh, which is why, if you go back through the history of science, uh, the great founders of modern science, uh, the vast majority of them were people of faith who never thought their, their trust in the Lord, the God of the Bible, had any attention uh, with the science they were doing. Uh, to, to quote one, uh, the, the, uh, one of the uh, founding fathers of astronomy, uh, he, he liked to say, I was thinking God's thoughts after him. I was thinking God's thoughts after him. That's, that's what we're talking about. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's Jesus who upholds. Uh, but, but yes, he uses secondary causes. Uh, and we get to see that and, and, and marvel and wonder. Uh, but for the purpose of our, our text here today, it's noticing that both in Colossians 1 and in Hebrews, that part of the glory of Christ comes forth. Not just in the fact uh, that he makes it, but then he, he sustains it. He holds us and all the world around us, visible and, and invisible, he holds it up, uh, keeps it together, keeps it going, and thus shines forth the greatness uh, of his glory. So, how big is this Jesus? How, how great is his glory prior to him ever stepping foot on this earth? Well, he's the eternal son. He's the, he's the all-powerful creator. He's the, the almighty sustainer of all things. 
So what do we do with that? How, what do we take home uh, from, from that? Well, let's, let's talk about two things. Uh, first, what that helps us to do is truly marvel at the wonder of the Incarnation. Uh, we do celebrate a birthday this time of year, uh, but it is a birthday unlike any other birthday anywhere. That what we celebrate is not a new life arriving, but what we celebrate is the arrival of God himself. Uh, that what we have is the arrival of God in unbelievable humility. That this is the all-glorious one who made everything, who sustains everything, uh, who takes on human flesh and steps into our world. Steps into our world that we broke. Right? All the mess and ugliness, yeah, we, we broke that. Right? It's, 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 the, it's humanity and our sin as we rebel against God, going all the way back to the garden and, and continuing until you and me in our sin. Uh, we're the ones uh, who took God's good creation uh, and polluted it and defiled it and had it, and it's the reason it's twisted and just a mess. Jesus enters that world. Uh, the all-glorious creator who made it good comes into uh, the mess that we made and he bears the weight of it. Right? He, he feels all the, all the brokenness and ugliness. Uh, right? The, uh, the pain of this world... It bears down on him. Uh, the hate, the depravity, the ugliness, it, it comes up real close. It makes his life miserable. Ultimately, all the way to the cross itself, where he bears uh, the weight of our judgment, uh, the very judgment that we deserve for our sin. He, he takes it all on himself in order to save us from it. Can you see just how, how unbelievable that is, how, how marvelous that is? Uh, that this glorious one would, would step in and do that for us. Right? The marvel of the incarnation, that the glorious sustainer and creator of the world would come here to rescue us. So, so we, we ponder and we marvel. The other thing that this encourages us to do is, is to trust and worship Jesus above all. Trust and worship Jesus above all. Part of the reason that Colossians was written was because the, the church there, uh, there's this false teaching that had creeped in and really had, it was making a mess. We don't know all the details, but we can kind of put together some of the pieces through Paul's letter. It seems to be uh, that the many Colossian Christians were really enamored with, on one hand, uh, the angelic powers. Uh, these different uh, hierarchy of angels looking, ah, you know, if I, if, I, if I look to them and know the kind of the right people to call out, names to trust in, and, and even angels to worship, this will be my hope and safety. This will get me, advance me as a, as a believer, sort of enamored with, uh, with the angels, and also uh, caught up with, uh, with different uh, laws about dietary restrictions and feast days. Paul later on is going to say, you know, do not taste, do not touch. You know, that was kind of their thing. Like, oh yeah, if I stay away from this and do this and follow this day, there's going to be another secret to, uh, to advancing uh, in, in faith and advancing in, in the Lord. So you kind of put those things up and say, well, what do those two have in common? Enamored with the angels and enamored with these food laws and days. What do those two things have in common? They're both created things. 
They're both created things. And what the Colossians were tempted to do is look to created things as, ah, oh, that's, that's my hope. That's my safety. And, and that's where we're very similar to the Colossians. Uh, we, too, are tempted to look to created things as, ah, if I have this, then I'm okay. All right? Maybe it's not, I'm going to look to some angelic power uh, or look to some food law. That's probably not your temptation, but it's something else. It's some other created thing uh, that you think, well, if I just have this, okay, yeah, I, I need Jesus, but I also need this. Uh, could be anything, a relationship, uh, a job, a certain achievement, uh, some uh, some form of entertainment, uh, you know, any created thing. And you think, man, it's not just a good thing, not just something I enjoy, but, but I need it. This this makes life worth living. If you, if you took this away, I would start to question whether it's worth it. Uh, I, I, I would start to lose all hope. Uh, I, I, yeah, Jesus, I need him, but I also need this. Can, can you think of what you might be might be tempted to, to put in that category. Maybe not angels, uh, but some other uh, created created thing. Uh, and then we, we start to realize, we bring in Colossians 1 and start to realize what all those things for all of us have in common. They're created things. They're created things. Which doesn't make them bad. It just makes them limited. They have limited power to do anything. They can do some good things, uh, but they can't do what the creator can do, right? There's the difference. Created things, so different from the creator. We can ask ourselves of all those things, oh, who made them all? Uh, who, who sustains all those things? Jesus. So where is our source of trust going to be rightly placed? In the things that, that had to be made and sustained by something bigger? Uh, should we look to those things? How about the one who made them. How about the one who sustains them? That's exactly what Paul's pointing the Colossians to. It's exactly what God is pointing us to. It's not that the created things are bad. It's that there is, uh, there's, a, there's a creator who made it all. Let's trust in him. Let's look to him as the only source of our, of our hope uh, and, our, and our joy. I, I went through a book uh, in the midst of my sabbatical, and it was talking about one's career and how to look at the second half of their career and and uh, have a right mindset uh, and and I really liked how this how this particular author kind of summed up his uh, his his counsel and very succinctly and I think it helps us here uh, he says he says this here's what I'm encouraging you to do use things love people worship the divine use things love people worship the divine so use things. In other words, inanimate objects. They're, they're tools that you, that you use. People. Greater than things. They're to be loved. Greater than all of that, God himself. He's to be worshipped. So, use things, love people, worship God, and the problems come in in your life, in my life, the problems come in when we mix up those verbs. Right? Because each of those things has verbs, right? Use things. Love people. Worship God. The problems come in when we start to mix up the verbs. So we're not just utilizing uh, inanimate objects. We're starting to love them or worship them 
or or or, or people. Uh, we're we're not we're not just loving them, uh, but but we're worshiping people, or or maybe we're using people as if they were objects. Uh, and in all of that, what's the place of of the God who does deserve ultimate trust and worship? That gets brought low. So the problems come in when we mix up the verbs. I don't know about you. I found that helpful way to kind of think and, and even, even diagnose what's, what kind of, what am I missing at this moment? You know, you get to those moments where you think something, something's off. I can kind of feel it. I'm not feeling quite. You can even go there. Okay. Am I mixing up some verbs? Am I mixing up some verbs? Use things. Love people. Worship God. And that's really what, what Paul is, is focusing our attention on. That, that yes, there are created things, and they're good. But look to the creator. Uh, he's the all-glorious son who always has been. And he made it all. And he sustains it all. And he is the very one who steps into our world in order to rescue us. Uh, so where is our trust going to be well-placed? Only in him. Uh, there's, there's our hope. There's our true peace. Uh, so let's look to him uh, as his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that you are the glorious one and that you have had mercy on us who, who so often worship and trust the wrong things. Thank you for the son who was who has come and has died and been raised uh, all so that we might be rescued from, uh, from our own uh, failure, our own sin, uh, and, and have, have a Savior to trust in that can really sustain us. We thank you for it. We pray that you'd help us to do that at the beginning of our Christian walk, but every day along the way, uh, to trust uh, in the, the creator, sustainer, and Savior of the world, even our Savior, the Lord Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.